Hello, and welcome to Crafting a Revolution, the podcast. My name is Katie Freeman, and I am your host. Every Wednesday and Friday, I am bringing you interviews with female and non-binary makers of all kinds from all over the world. Today's guest comes from Jamaica, and her name is Mara Harding. Uh, She's actually not been doing this for too long, but she's super passionate about it. Um, uh, She says in Jamaica, she's known as the wood boss, which I really love that. Um, But super inspirational about how she really just said, this is what I'm going to do and went out and did it and has this hugely successful business now. So um, I think you all will find inspiration from it as well. But before we hop on into the interview with Mara, I want to give a big shout out and thanks to the patrons over on Patreon. So thanks so much, Annette of 513 Woodworks, Katie, Women in Woodworking, Kevin, Lefty's Woodshop, Christy, Twisted Twine, Jeremy, Jeremy Spies, Sammy, Go Sammy Lee, Sven, Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel, Moody Makes, Bonnie, Tool Mom Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura, Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou, Made by Mary Lou, Brandy, Studio, Obey, Lee, The Rainbow Carver, Ellen, Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan, Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support, helping me to produce two episodes a week, every week. Now, if you want to get your name added to this list, you very much can. Just head on over to patreon.com forward slash crafting a revolution and see how you can join up with the Revolution Pod Squad over there and get your name listed at the top of the episode for every episode. All right, with no further ado, here is Mara Harding. So Zoom doesn't like to say where I, doesn't like when I say where I'm from, but let's try one more time. So I am from Kingston, Jamaica. I am Mara Harding. I am a woodologist or woodpreneur, as I like to to call myself. Um, In Jamaica, I'm known as the wood boss or the wood whisperer. (laughs) And I am 100% totally self-taught. I had no mentor, no uncle in the business, no um, nobody to look to. And so everything that I have taught myself or everything that I've known for the past five years or learned, it's from trial and error and experimenting, lots of frustrating moments, banging my head against a tree, no pun intended. Are you there? Yep. Yep. Okay. Awesome. Uh, (laughs) I was going to ask, how long have you been um, in the business, I guess? So I, I decided to switch careers in 2014. I had an owned and ran my own advertising agency and it was doing pretty well, but didn't feel like that was really what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And certainly not, I wasn't going to build a legacy for myself and for my kids doing that. And I went in search at that time when I turned 40 in 2014 Um, went in search of what to do to feel like I was fulfilling my purpose and had an aha aha moment that I would venture into the world of wood and to see what that would look like. And so I launched my brand in 2015 
and that would be this November would make six years. Okay. Yeah. What brought you to Wood? So I knew that I had wanted to go from left brain to right brain, right? So I knew that I wanted to hang up my um, business hat and get into the, my creative side, right? Which I kind of felt like I had suppressed it pretty much all my life up to that point. And so that Christmas, so this is 2014 now, that Christmas I decided to make Christmas decorations and just kind of get my creative juices flowing. And I flew up to Miami, went into Michael's and Target and Walmart and bought a whole bunch of Christmas decorations and got back to Jamaica and made all of these really cool, what I thought were cool Christmas trees, just like tabletop, maybe most 24 inches high and none of them sold. <laughs> and I was like, uh, this is not a good, this is not a good start. And I was like, you know what? I, I can't waste all this money and all these decorations. I have to figure something out. And I had a tree in my backyard that had lost all its leaves because it was just about to um, bloom. And it had all these sprigs and, and cool little branches. And I barred a saw and I started sawing them off. And I'm like, you know, I think I could make some cool stuff with this. Went on to Pinterest, looked up what they had, saw those, you know, those layered trees yeah. where they have the branches, right? So yeah. made a whole bunch of those and every one of them sold and made some wreaths out of them too. And, and I was like, people are really digging this wood, this wood vibe. And, and I took every single dollar I made from the sale of those, those Christmas ornaments or decorations and went to the local uh, still supplier and bought my first still saw, a small 17 inch bar, um, bought a jigsaw only because I'd heard somebody mention jigsaw, didn't know any one damn thing about a jigsaw. And uh, uh, what was my other thing that I bought? Um, it was a, a jigsaw, uh, see, I'm having, I'm having one of those, <laughs> having one of those moments. That's so uh, life of our aging female <laughs> that's right but like i mean buying a still saw like from not having anything that's like a big jump leap <laughs> is big jump. yeah um, and i was too proud to ask any of the guys for help right so i took the saw they're like mom you need us to show you how to, to to start it up no i'm good man i got this and got back home jumped onto youtube put the phone down and learned how to operate the saw through YouTube. Um, and, and then I had a friend that's in construction and I called him up and I said, hey, um, do you, have you by any chance um, taken any trees down lately for your construction projects? And he says, actually, I just took down a really big tree. Um, they've already kind of cut it up to move it, but you're more than welcome to it. And I went, I picked it up, got a truck man, went and picked it up and then I used that first rescue tree to learn how to use a saw and how to carve with it mm -hmm. and that was really what set the tone for me because at that point I didn't know what I was doing what was what my look of and feel would be what I was going to be making I knew nothing so it was just it was knowing what I wanted to do and then allowing the process to to 
unfold naturally. So when I was able to get this tree, then I learned about live edge mm-hmm. and, and how to cut them and what to do with them. And that also set the tone for me to only use rescue trees. So now I don't use any tree unless it's slated to be felled or it's come down naturally from, you know, oversaturation, um, you know, heavy rains, hurricane, mm-hmm. um, you know, any sort of natural disaster that's brought the tree down. Um, we also were in um, crazy expansion mode in the construction industry here. And so there is trees coming down by, I can't even tell you, it's it's yeah. actually yeah. really sad. Um, and then we're also building quite a few highways across the island too, which again, um, you know, a lot of trees are coming down for that. So mm-hmm. I have been able to carve out um, a niche for myself because I'm the only person in on the island that does that. Nobody else rescues trees. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was the first and I'm still the only person here that goes to all of that trouble. And I mean, when I rescue a tree, it's an endeavor and a yeah. very costly one. Yeah. You know, I, um, I, I took down a... a massive willow tree two weeks ago and it had been about a month of get trying to get it out because it was right on a fence line in a an apartment complex Mm. and it was such a procedure to get it out and I was so determined I was like we are getting this tree out you're not gonna cut it up and destroy it and it costed so much to get that tree out and it is I mean this tree must have been hundreds of years old it was so heavy and we ended up having to hire a massive crane truck to lift it out Mm -hmm. and that's how I was able to get it but you know it's worth it in the end because then I I feel like part of my purpose is to breathe new life into these majestic beings um, whose lives have now come to an end and then I get to resurrect them so to speak you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, that totally that totally resonates with me. I don't quite get the trees at the point you're getting them, but I work with a couple different local tree services. So when they um, are removing trees and they take back, you know, big big chunks of the trunks or like the bigger round pieces to their um, kind of to their site that they take them to, I'll work with them to try to mm-hmm. get a few of those pieces. Um, that's where I yeah. pretty much source all of my wood from. Yeah. Well, well I, I always say that, um, you know, when I get a call from just before I came on this on online with you, I got a message from another person to say that they have a massive tree in their complex. And he sees hurricane coming up to hurricane season now. So a lot of these complexes, um, townhouse and apartment complexes want these trees pruned or, or you know, some of them taken down because it prevent it's it poses a huge hazard to them. Mm-hmm. But I always tell people that I like to get it. I'm I like to cut the tree myself because mm-hmm. that's really where the magic starts. Mm-hmm. I can sit you know with a tree and and see how the branches are are sorry the trunks are are shaped and and how one intersects the other, or there's a, you know, a rounded curve and I can mm-hmm. look at it and, and I can see past what it's in, what's in front of me and what it will become. And so how I cut it plays a massive role in being able to really pay proper homage to these trees. How did, I mean, I know you said you're all self-taught, but how did you get into like actually 
taking the trees down because that I mean I've so never... I don't okay yeah I don't personally do that <laughs> okay yeah, I, have, I have a team I have a team so that's one of the beautiful the beautiful things about living on an island too um labor is very accessible mm. so I I have a crew that I use for that there's no way that I'm felling a tree I can't so now 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 I'm I have every size chainsaw Mm -hmm. and um you know we use a three foot bar and the four foot bar quite a bit i can't even i can't even crank the, the, yeah. the three foot and the four foot when it's filled with gas it's just yeah. i can't even start it it's just so heavy yeah and um i have an amazing sawman he's a little tiny little he's so small but he uses a chainsaw like he's buttering bread it's so cool to watch him and and so I have over the years um, developed a really strong team mm -hmm. of guys that work with me. Um, yeah, and it's 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 they allow me to be able to do what I do. So I mean, I've you know, a makers. So today's podcast episode is sponsored in part by Alicia Van Osdal, who is the owner of Basil Blue Design Company. Alicia is a maker of all things, really. Her focus is on beautiful craftsmanship through woodworking, repurposing, refinishing art and sculpture. Her background includes 30 years of graphic design, logos, and branding. If you have an idea or concept that and need a creative solution or graphic design, you can email Alicia directly at Alicia, and that is A-L-I-C-I-A at basilblue.com. Or you can visit her website at www.basilblue.com. And fun fact, uh, Alicia actually designed the logo for Crafting a Revolution. So that is an example of the impeccable work you can expect if that is something you are in the market for. So be sure to look up Alicia again at her website, basilblue.com. All right, let's get back into the action. You know, I obviously I found you on... Um, on Instagram and kind of fell through the hole of your feed and watching all of your, your stuff. Um, and I mean, you're doing massive pieces and, um, I mean, how did you get to a point, I guess, of being able to, to do this as a business and like sustain it? Well, the, the good thing is that when I started, nobody was doing what I was doing, right? I was the first out of the block. And, and so that really gave me a jump start mm -hmm. because I filled a void that was, you know, that, that people embraced my work. And, and I, because I'm coming from owning my own advertising agency, the first thing I did before I even knew what I was going to be making was I had a brand. Mm -hmm. I knew what my stamp was going to look like. I knew what my name was going to look like. I knew what my logo was going to look like. I had my whole PR and marketing strategy. I knew how I was going to launch. I had all my numbers figured out. So that was a huge component that I had put in place in order to, um, to be successful, in order to make sure that I was on the right path and doing the right, making the right steps. So the creative aspect of it fell into place because I had all the foundations 
put in put in place and and it's it's a huge part of the puzzle missing for a lot of creatives because you don't find somebody that's typically left brain and right brain and so they have to either rely on an outside entity that they have to hire and who really has money to do that mm-hmm. in Jamaica they have they have um they have facilities set up that that you can get grants for mm-hmm. people to come and help you with your business plan. And I'm sure in the US they have those too. Mm-hmm. But that would be my first recommendation to anybody. Once they want to start get getting into something, they have to have a proper business plan. And then I so that so when I started with that foundation and I launched, I launched where I put together a hundred piece collection because nobody knew that I was doing this, right? It was just right. like, where did this come from? You know? last we checked she was running um <laughs> you know brands across mm-hmm. the island so so i had to let people know that now i'm in this industry and i'm creating and i was determined to create a wide range of products so that people would see that one these things are now available on the island two that they can actually be manufactured on the island because we are an, we are in an import um mm-hmm everything that everybody owns is imported, yeah. right? And we have full cable, full internet. So everybody sees what's going on in the US and everybody wants that, right? The West Elms and the, you yeah. know, the, the typical um, pair one imports and yeah. all of those yeah. types of things, right? And, but at the same time, they want so desperately for somebody local to step up and be able to offer products that they can feel proud of and want to purchase. So I gave them that. I made sure that every table I made, every bench, every light was to the, the, the utmost um, stringent, like, you know, leveled, finished. Um, if there was anything out of place, you know, we had to make sure that everything was so perfect. So when I launched, people were just totally blown away at the finishes you know, and I would be, because I wasn't taught, I would go into a restaurant and the first thing I'd do is I'd look under the table <laughs> yep. and I would take pictures and I would, you know, sketch out little things in my phone. I'm like, oh, so that's how they made the table and that's how they attached it. And, and that's what I would do a lot of the time. So when I launched, all of my legs were done in-house, all my finishing was done. And again, because labor is, um, you know, accessible here, I was able to hire a spray man. I was able to hire a, a welder. And, and so I didn't have to then become a, a perfectionist at all these other things. I could rely on people that were good in that field, but they were now part of my team and my crew to be able to give me that elevated standard of work. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and then in getting into the bigger pieces obviously posed a challenge because I didn't have a forklift. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a pulley system and so it's honestly it's really um I, I can only just say it's a miracle um I just did two weeks ago I just uh delivered a 15 foot vertical chandelier for a stairwell for a villa on our east coast and I, I haven't I hadn't even seen it erected because I had nowhere to hang it <laughs> <laughs> I'm like totally blind here. Like I'm, I'm working on a horizontal surface on a on right. something that's going to be 
you know, hung vertically. And so I'm like constantly like bending over and I'm like <laughs> trying to figure out in my head, okay, is that going to hang right? Is it going to look right? When the light turns on, is it going to reflect onto the stereo? It's <laughs> like, yeah. you know, you have, you have to have, you have to, you have to do some guessing and you have to show that you're totally in control and you know all of what you're doing to the client when you right. really have no clue. <laughs> right. You fake it till you make it. <laughs> That's right. So, I mean, with the marketing background, I mean, was that, did you go to school for that or was that also self-taught? No, I went to college in, in Oakville, uh, Ontario. Mm-hmm. So very close to downtown Toronto. And I studied retail management. So <laughs> I did. Okay. Do, yeah. <laughs> but my my husband um, is has has been a marketing has been in the marketing industry for quite some time, and he wanted to go from um, being the marketing manager, marketing director at these companies to owning his own agency and being on the other side. Mm-hmm. And so he and I started the agency together. But I am because I'm. I'm very left brain and I'm very um, organized and my and systematic and good at math and good at accounting. I served that role in the agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, and then my husband served the role of client services. So he would go and he would do the pitches and, you know, then, he, then mm-hmm. he'd come back and I would do the help with the, the graphic, sit with the graphic artist, make sure everything looked right. And so, yeah, so there was a, a dynamic between the both of us, but yeah, definitely nothing nothing that I studied. Okay. So, I mean, I'm sitting here thinking while you're saying you started with like a line of a hundred pieces and all that's showing up in my mind is dollar signs, knowing how expensive <laughs> it I'm is. I'm so glad you asked that. I'm so glad you mentioned that. So I'm going to tell you another story, right? Okay. So when I decided to launch, I wanted to do it. I did it at my house and I wanted to create like a Disney World attraction effect. So where you mm. go in one way, you go around and you come out, you know, you come out through the store mm-hmm. always, right? So I wanted to do something like that. So I created this massive entrance out of two massive trunks, right? So one trunk was the, the entrance table and then I had a light fixture over it on trusted. And, and then I had, I wrote to Samsung and I, and I said, hey, this is what I'm doing. And I want you guys to sponsor me. And <laughs> Samsung said, yes. First of all, they, they didn't have the option to say no, because I was going to camp out outside of their offices until they said yes. <laughs> and, and I got the yes. So they, they, um, I had three Samsung tablets at the, at the entrance that people had to sign in and log in. And then they, they went from there into a tent and then they had the silent headphones. They had just come out with them. And Samsung gave me this huge flat screen TV. And the guests sat down and watched a video that was produced 100% on my Samsung phone. And uh, it was a video of showing me getting into this woodworking, showing, showing me working on the, on the pieces and, and just basically introducing my story to these people. And then once they watched that, it was like a four minute video, very, very short. Once they watched that, then they would get up and then they would go around to the backyard. And that's where I had now all my pieces displayed. Um, Well, the big pieces, um, the dining tables, the benches, the coffee tables, that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. And, And everything was on its own little platform. 
Um, then they went from, from the backyard into the main house and the house was now converted into a full store. So I had charcuterie boards, lights hanging, like you name it. I had everything in there. And then they exited now through, um, I had a friend that had an art gallery. So I made her bring in all paintings of trees. And so they exited through a gallery with just all of these trees, right? And I told a story about how everything is um, sustainable and that every, all the trees are rescued. And that was, that's how it, they ended. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, when I launched, I think I had about $2 in my bank account <laughs> and I leveraged every relationship I had. So I, because, of, because I was in the advertising agency, we did a lot of executions for our clients. I called up a lot of those suppliers and I said, listen, I have no money, but I need a tent. I have no money, but I need trussing and lighting. Um, I have no money, but I need a sound system like to play music. Um, and then I got another brand to, to donate wine so that when people came, they were given a glass of wine. And so it's just, it was just leveraging relationships mm -hmm. and promising them that I'm sure something is going to sell and I'll pay them after the show. And so that was very nerve wracking. Um, and what I did was I selected it was it was it ran Thursday, Friday and Saturday. So I had it three days in a row. And each day I invited a certain sector of society. So like the first day were the, were the politicians and, you know, the heads of state and some other people. And then the next day was, you know, maybe the influencers and um, more the, the business people. And then the third day were just, you know, other people. So I, I chose different demographics for each day mm -hmm. and they all got hand in, um, they got invitations delivered by hand. And then I, I did this on the Friday, they got their invitations on the Friday and that Sunday I had the local newspaper do a uh, triple spread on me. So they didn't, when they got the invitations, they're probably like, what is this? And then they picked up the newspaper on Sunday and saw the full spread on it. So needless to say, everybody showed up to the launch. Mm -hmm. And so again, that was my whole marketing and PR background, knowing how to get people's interest peaked. Right. And, and so it was really, I, it, there was a lot of effort put into it. And I, I never slept for about a month. Um, <laughs> And that's just like, that was just the back end stuff. You know, I'm also in the workshop work, right, making right. all of these things, you know, and, and, but, but because I'd had a background in marketing and events, um, I was able to execute the event at the same time as creating all of these pieces. <laughs> Wonder Woman activates. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, seriously, it's just like, I'm, I mean, to be yeah. frank, I'm blown away by that story because it's just, um, I feel maybe, yeah. I feel maybe especially with, um, especially for women, I don't think a lot of us feel like we have the right to do what you did to say like, no, I, what I'm doing is important and, you know, I'm going to sell myself and what I'm making is great and people need to be aware of, like, I don't feel like maybe it's just personally, but I don't think a lot of us mm. do a good job of really pushing ourselves out. Self-promoting, self-promoting. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, you know, that could be a whole, a whole training session right there. 
you yeah. know, just <laughs> in, in, yeah, in, in how to brand yourself. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's something you've done already, but, um, you know, it's, it's so important. And then, you know, because we're on a small island, people watch what I do. And I, I do have a lot of people trying to um, get into the same industry now that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And my brand, my stamp that I stamp all of my furniture with is, is just a big M and a little M in cursive. Mm-hmm. And it's deliberate because a Nike, a Nike is a swoosh. Adidas is, you know, this pyramid, a, a triangle mm-hmm. with the three stripes. And, and, you know, it's, I felt that it was important that it wasn't my name or, you know, anything like that. And people don't understand that aspect of it. So mm-hmm. even the people who are, who are, are, are in, getting into live edge furniture, you know, they're stamping their full name with a right. phone number underneath um, or a version of their name. And it's just, there's a whole, there's a whole science mm-hmm. to building a brand. And it's something that you have to be super patient about. It doesn't happen overnight. I will sometimes wait a whole entire year or more to post a, post a particular piece mm-hmm. because I feel like the timing isn't right. Or I know that there is, I need to, I need to develop the story a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, building a brand and building a successful business is certainly not something that can just happen overnight. It takes a lot of work and a lot of back-end planning. Hey, Revolution Pod Squad. This week's episode is brought to you in part by me, your host, Katie Freeman. I am super excited. I just released my very first virtual training course on how to add bright, bold, and beautiful colors to your woodworking project. I love doing it with my stuff because I feel like it just kicks it up a notch and really makes those projects stand out from the crowd. So if that sounds like something that you would like to do, learn how to add some bright, bold, beautiful colors to your woodworking projects with simple household items, then go ahead and head on over to freemanfurnishings.com. Scroll to the bottom of the homepage and get your name added to the wait list. Add a little note, say you want to be added in with the wood stain rock star course and I will make sure to get that link over to you all right let's head right back on in with the episode yeah and I I mean again probably totally speaking for myself like when I got into doing this and and basically I want wanted to have the dream of making my own pieces and people come and buy my own designs um you know I have no business background absolutely none. And so I got into social media just because it's like, well, I have to have a way for people to find me right, um, right. to know what I'm doing. But there was yeah. no forward thought <laughs> put into mm-hmm. how does that get put out there? And mm-hmm. what does that look like? And over time, it's morphed. And now I feel mm-hmm. like I, I have a I have a thing, right? It's like right. I have my niche and I, I have that thing, but I, yeah. I definitely need to rebrand myself. But right. I'm thinking from there, I learned some lessons that like in things that I'll be coming out with towards the end of this year and new mm-hmm. ventures, like I've learned that like, right? I've already been working six months on how that brand's gonna look and what it's gonna right. be like and what right. it's gonna say and understanding right. all of that. Like I have a business plan for that but I don't mm-hmm. have a, I don't have a business plan for my creative business at all. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so I don't, and I feel like other people I've interviewed for the podcast, a lot of times it's, you know, they start by making things for themselves and then family and friends see it and say, hey, can you make me mm-hmm. such and such? Mm-hmm. And so it's just very organic and still, right. still there. They never go through the process of figuring out a brand or a business because right. it just happens uh, yes. organically. It, it happened organically from the beginning. Yeah. 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 I get that. <clears throat> um, yeah. You know, it's, this has been a very interesting conversation because it's, it's leading, leading me to think that maybe there's a, a need to be able to put something together to help um, women um, cross through into that, into that space. Yeah. of figuring out their back end part of their of their business so that they can focus on the front end mm-hmm. and I tell you something like for me even having done all of that right and I wear about 15 hats I wear pretty much every hat in the business right um, mm-hmm. so procurement so if I need you know lag screws sandpapers any sort of supplies I'm the one that has to go to the hardware store to get it right, right? or buy it online and ship it in um, I'm the accountant. I am the the customer liaison officer. Right. I am, um, you know, I am my my team member's boss. I am the creator. I am I'm everything. I wear every hat. And what it has prevented me from doing is really expanding and growing. Mm-hmm. And you know, I get a lot of requests for my furniture all over the world, and I I can't even I can't even go there. Like I, I can't even. <laughs> satisfy my local market much less even think about okay exporting that means I have to get registered as an exporter I have to go Mm -hmm. through all of these different all these things right and and then so even just today coming here before before Mm -hmm. coming on here with you I had a meeting with a a manufacturer that has a amazing um, facility and they have every machine you can possibly think of. They have two massive CNC machines. They have everything. I mean, mm-hmm. a powder coating machine for the metal legs. And it's endless. They have their own reupholstering um, section. They have their own metal section. They have their own spraying section. They have their own lighting engineer that puts in all of their lights and all of their plugs and all of their things into their pieces. And, and I'm just like... <laughs> I'm my head is spinning out of control because I'm just like what would I do with all of this you know mm-hmm. and so I'm now at a point where I'm looking at you know possibly going into or having them absorb my business mm-hmm. where I can then now be a part of a bigger picture and have all of those things taken care of so I can just be the creator and a designer yeah. Yeah. Um, and they can deal with exporting and they can do it, you know, the logistics, the transportation and all of those things. And and another big part of my issue is um, because there's so many trees needing to be rescued, I've run out of space. I have nowhere yeah. to put them yeah. and they have the space, you know. And so so I'm also now in that same um, I'm at a crossroads where I'm like, OK, am I going to continue as this little artisan this little you know Jamaican girl doing her little one-off pieces or am I going to really you know turn the corner here and become more international mm-hmm. and more accessible and and so yeah so, so as a creative you know going through the process you're gonna you're gonna get to junctions that you're gonna have to cross 
as your business expands and grows. And, and when once you go from something organic, doing it for your friends and family, and it now becoming a legit business, then you say, okay, wait a second, I'm, I'm, I'm crossing over into a whole new territory. Does this mean now I have to go into trade shows? Um, there's a there's a show coming up in in Vegas in two or three weeks. I don't know if anybody's mm-hmm. going to that. Um, it's a big wood woodworking conference yeah. in Las in Vegas, right? So, um, a couple of us from Jamaica are going, and you know, it's, so now you're like thinking like, okay, do I need to attend some of these shows? Do I need to be an exhibitor? Do I need to you know? And and so you you have to keep moving that needle. You have to keep expanding and growing and 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 really reaching for for things that are are out there that maybe six months ago you weren't even in that space to even think think about it mm-hmm. so did you just you, have to keep expanding mm-hmm. yeah did you see this as like where it was gonna go I mean from the get-go again because I had done a business plan mm-hmm. and in the business plan was one year two year and five years Mm-hmm. Um, my philosophy and my and my way of thinking is nothing is off limits, right? So from the very beginning, I declared that I wanted to be the Martha Stewart of woodworking in Jamaica. Like I wanted to to be able to create a brand that was recognized internationally, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was always my focus and my goal. And it's not that I wake up every day. I'm like, okay, today. <laughs> I'm going to be Martha Stewart right. on my way, you know, it's like not, it's not like that. Like, it's just like, I put it on paper and I know that deep down inside somewhere. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so it was, um, it was, it was in the business plan. And it was in the back of my of my subconscious subconscious then, you know, that 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 I did want to aim extremely high and just be very patient and have things unfold organically. Mm -hmm. And even with it unfolding organically, know that there's going to be some crossroads that I'm going to have to be like, do I go left? Do I go right? Do I continue straight? You know, Mm -hmm. and. Like, for instance, after the launch, what ended up happening was I was starting to get a whole lot of custom orders and I was expanded very fast. And I, I brought on a lot of guys to work for me. And I was so miserable <laughs> because now I wasn't just a creative. I was all of these guys boss. Right. And, you know, being a female in a man's world, taking instructions from a woman, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And I had a lot of resistance and I felt like I was swimming upstream every day. And one day I woke up and I said, I'm not doing this anymore. This is not fun. This is mm-hmm. not feeding my soul. And I basically just asked them to, um, in, in a nice way, not come back to work <laughs> on one day. <laughs> and, and I kept two guys and I felt so alive again. Mm-hmm. and and then you st- and then you tend to as time passes you get back down into that rut and so I've had to kind of again just recognize that things have kind of gone a little bit astray and pull them back in so with COVID last year and and you know everybody not sure of what was going to happen with the economy and how things were going to progress every single person that that called my phone I took their job 
Mm-hmm. Right. I was I was not saying no to anything. Right. And by the time December rolled around, I was so burnt out. Mm-hmm. And I declared again in January, I said, no more custom work. I'm just going to get back to what I was doing when I launched, which was just making stuff and putting them out as a collection. And then if people came and they saw something they liked, they just bought it. Yeah. So that's where I'm at right now. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's kind of the other piece too, right? Like I feel like in, in this creative space, um, people are more inclined to ask for custom work uh, (laughs) instead of necessarily buying something you've already created. And, and especially if you're in a space, like you said, like with the pandemic where you're scared of like what's to come, Mm-hmm. You you take the custom work because that's still mm-hmm. at least like putting food on your table. But exactly, you know, you can't always have your ideal of like having customers come ready to buy what you've produced. Um, it's it's a hard it's a hard dance. Yeah. I'm not. It's not easy. Yeah, I mean, is I guess your hope then looking at this, you know, possible um, new venture with the like the manufacturing type of facility would be to maybe I I don't want to say mass produce but be able to uh, produce more of your own work like the customs right completely go away right so 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 I I when I had the meeting today I said just one thing I need to to let you know I'm not doing custom work so I'm not coming here to start custom work I said it's that chapter has closed and it will not ever get open again. Um, because it's, it's, I had a customer, I'll give you a small example. Like three days ago, a lady messaged me and said, Hey, I need a dining table, eight and a half feet by eight and a half feet. And she started listing off all her, her, her requirements. And I stopped her and I said, I said, thank you so much for choosing, you know, Mara made, but I'm no longer doing custom work. I am making and I am selling um, and I'm confident that when I'm finished, you'll see a table that you like. And then her response was, okay, as long as it's eight and a half by eight and a half and it has blue resin in the middle and it has wooden legs because I'm by the sea and I don't want metal. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, so it's very hard. People don't, people have a hard time when you tell them, no, I'm not doing custom work, right? They still try and get it in. And so I'm definitely not doing that. I mean, just in the conversation alone, I ended up spending half an hour of my right. time and I'm not even making this table for this lady, you know? And, right. and that's what happens when you have custom work. They, she wanted me to drive two and a half hours across the island just to come and look at her space. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was to do that with everybody, when would I ever be able to create, right. you know? <laughs> and 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 so, so, yes, with this facility, it will allow... It will allow the the manpower. Like for instance, they have a massive belt sander that can that can sand a table that's I think their capacity is three feet wide by four inches thick. Oh wow. That's yeah. a big deal for me. Right. Yeah. I can't even tell you the amount of time it takes me to sand down a table. Oh yeah. You know, <laughs> and so and so right. So they have they have the capacity now to allow me to finish my pieces a lot quicker. It will bring the cost down so the consumers will benefit for it in the end because where I have to, you know, add in all of the labor costs, yeah. now that's going to be significantly less. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it will still end up being made to be sold. So, you mm -hmm. know, I have this same lady was like, okay, fine. Well, I ship in furniture from Bali and Indonesia all the time. So I guess I'll just do that. And I said, I said, well, what's the difference? If I'm, if I'm going to be manufacturing and selling just like a Bali and Indonesia, then why not come and, and see what I have that <laughs> you may like, you know? Yeah. And so, and I, and I tell you that once you declare what you're doing and you put the right energy to it, the it, it, people will come. Mm -hmm. And I've found, I've found in the past that anything that I make, anything that I make, somebody inevitably walks through the door and says, oh, wow, that's exactly what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Or that was exactly what I was looking for. You know, and so and so I just have the faith that I know that once I'm creating from my happy place, which is my soul, and and I am, you know, sustainably making these pieces, the, the, this factory is 100% solo. Mm -hmm. Every single thing, every machine is run is run from solar energy, mm. um, which is a big deal for me. Yeah. Um, you know, and so so yeah, that just. You know, it's a fear that people have, but I, I tell people to just trust the process. If you're making from your soul and you know what you're doing is good work, people are going to want it. They're going mm -hmm. to come and they're going to support you. Hey, makers, today's episode is sponsored in part by toolmomstore.com. At toolmomstore.com, you can find any and all tool-based merchandise for all genders, all sizes. They've got mugs, they've got shirts, all kinds of cool stuff. I have uh, one of the shirts myself that has the uh, hashtag woodworker on it. And I also have a couple of the mugs that define what and who is a tool chick. So super excited with the merchandise that I have. I know that you will be satisfied as well. Um, and also, great discount for those of you who listen to the podcast at checkout if you enter the code maker mom you will get a 20 percent discount off any of the merchandise that you buy so that's just toolmomstore.com all right let's head back into the action yep do you have a showroom space for your pieces well <laughs> <laughs> um it's something that we spoke about today so what my plan is for the first collection is to find like a nice great house um, or some sort of um, monumental place that mm -hmm. um, that I can use as a as my showroom for the collection. Mm -hmm. um, so it won't be a permanent showroom. It will be something set up for the show. Okay. And and pull down maybe after two weeks. Mm -hmm. Um and then we'll look at it. We'll we we decided today when I met with them that we would we would let that organically unfold as well. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, because you know to have a, a permanent showroom in itself is a whole different beast again. Because now oh, yeah. you're now you have a retail establishment that mm -hmm. you have to, you know, staff up and make sure you have enough people coming through and and so we'll see. We'll see. So currently, how are people finding your work then? So, so where I am now, where I'm set up now, they can come and see we see the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, when I move to this new location, mm -hmm. it will be accessible only when the collection is ready. Okay. Yeah. So that's it's also creating it. It's also creating a demand for your for your products too. 
-hmm. you know when you're when you're too accessible then it's you know it diminishes the brand value mm -hmm. <laughs> i want to talk briefly just about costing and like mm -hmm. how you've figured out how to you know what to charge for your work so that's a good that's a very good question because if i was in the us I could be getting and commanding a lot more money than I and I am here on the local market and local scene. And even though a lot of my the people that buy my work are foreigners that, that are here and they own villas and they own mm -hmm. houses here, they feel that once they, they arrive on a plane and they're on Jamaican soil, that they shouldn't be paying what they'd be paying if they were in LA or New York or, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. So so that part has been, you know, something that you have to swallow and accept, unfortunately. Um, but what I do is I, I have developed over the couple of years where I plug in all of my costs. So mm -hmm. if I rescue a tree, I will know now that that particular tree, because of the size that it is, will yield me about 100 pieces. Mm -hmm. And that 100, and my motto is no wood left behind. So, I mean, I will make pieces as small as this cuff, mm -hmm. you know, or this ring. So there's very little wastage. And um, and I, so I will, I will do a, a calculation as to um, how much pieces I'll be able to get out of it. And then, then I add in, in a spreadsheet, all of my variables. So what it costs for the truck, what it costs for the salmon, what it costs for the oil. And I place all of my costs into a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. And then I and then I, I know how to proportion it now based on what I'm making. So I may put a I may put a number to a table. So if the table is huge, then I will give it a 10. Mm -hmm. If it's a small bracelet, I'll give it a one. Mm -hmm. And um and so I know based on the number that it has at the end of it, how much of the back end costs go to that table. Mm -hmm. Then I also factor in the label. Um, and then there is the there is the um, the actual value of a table. So right. if I know that my competitors are selling tables from Indonesia or tables that they have gotten a woodworker to put together and it's most of my tables are are only single slab right mm -hmm. I do hardly do any joining um, and the only time I will do a table with two pieces is if it's a river with the resin in the middle or yep. glass mm -hmm. typically it's one slab so if I go out and I research and I see that a dining table is being sold for 1500 US mm -hmm. but it's a table that has um, four planks you know yeah. glued together and it's the the whole thing is just totally different i i can use that now to gauge what my work should go on the market for and then mm -hmm. once i see what my costs come out to then i'll be able to say okay you know what my costs ended up at 600 us i can mark it up and get 1800 for this table mm -hmm. but that's something that i have i've had to develop over time um, and I have some lost leaders. So my charcuterie boards do very well and because they're small items that move very fast. Um, but all of my charcuterie boards are cut from a chainsaw and yeah. <laughs> plane down with a hand plano and then sand grinding and then sanding. And then it's, it's a whole process, right? right? It takes a lot of time to make one charcuterie board. Mm -hmm. So I don't make a lot of money off of them, but they're such a popular item and and it, it keeps my brand presence mm -hmm. in people's mind. 
you know and so you have to have a few lost leaders in in that respect too yeah yeah i i appreciate you breaking that down for us um <clears throat> and i'm keeping track of the time yeah. so <laughs> i want to <clears throat> i want to make sure that i give you the opportunity to let people know like how they can find you and your work and follow along with what you're up to so the main um, account is mara.harding on Instagram. I don't have a YouTube channel. Um, I just find it again, because it's a one man show. It's so mm -hmm. difficult to run so many different social media outlets. So I've stuck to the one that works the best for me, which is Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I tell a lot of my story and my journey through that, through the mara.harding account. And then my finished pieces are at Mara, M-A-R-A, made, M-A-D-E, designs on Instagram okay. as well. So I have two business accounts, the personal one showing my journey mm -hmm. and um, where I answer a lot of questions. And I'm going to be doing a question and answer thing every Thursday where somebody can send me a question and I'll, I'll post it on my feed mm -hmm. on a Thursday so that other people can benefit from it too. You know, because I, I feel like a big part of my journey is to, is to help others to become successful in their own way, mm -hmm. you know, to find their purpose and to become successful, not necessarily wood, woodworkers or, right. or women, women, or, you know, people that are in the woodworking industry, just anybody who feels like they, they, they want to step over and get into their purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll include the links to both of those in the show notes so people can find you and follow along with you. And thank you thank, very much for that. Thanks for taking <laughs> taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah. It's I, I love when these when these podcasts kind of go organically because I this is I haven't done a lot, right? So mm -hmm. I've been interviewed a lot, but this is only my third podcast that I've ever done. And um but the two that I did before were both so different. Mm -hmm. You know, and even though you yeah, you touch on some of the some of the same, you know, points it still ends up going in its own direction. Yeah. And I, and I like that. Yeah. 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 I don't, I don't like to give, I have some guests, you know, who get maybe a little nervous when I don't have like a set of questions that I provide okay. in advance, but I prefer it to be a conversation and to let it kind of flow, um, you know, where, yeah. where it's naturally supposed to land. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Yes. Okay, so that was Mara Harding, and I will include the links on how you can follow along with her and see all the amazing pieces that she's creating in the show notes for today's episode. So easiest way to find those is in the description on your podcast app for the episode, or if you're watching this on YouTube, just check out the description down below. If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you've been enjoying for a while, I'm going to ask for a huge favor. Please share with a couple of your friends about the podcast. Spread the word because I want to hit a 10,000 download month. We're averaging about 2,500 downloads per month right now. And so I need your help, Revolution Pod Squad. Uh, send you out into the forces and see if you can drum up uh, and share with some fellow makers about the podcast and let them get to hear these amazing stories that I'm quite frankly 
humbled to be able to bring to you all and so happy to be able to bring them to you all as well. All right, so when I am not interviewing fantastic guests and making podcast episodes, you can find me designing and making furniture and other home decor at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings across pretty much all the social media. I'm active on a daily basis, though, over on Instagram, so you can come check that out. All right, it is the middle of the week. I hope you're having a fantastic week so far. And as always, let's go craft a revolution. She, her, fan, they got something they want to say. Solution for the toxic masculine.